I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. And joining me today is Caitlin Billings, author of In Our Blood. Caitlin Billings knows the struggles of balancing work, mental health, and motherhood better than most. While accepting her own bipolar diagnosis, she had to learn how best to support her gender-fluid child, who inherited depressive behaviors, as well as pursue an allegation of child sexual assault in their home. In her work as a licensed clinical social worker and role as a mother, she felt tremendous pressure to be perfect and present stability. Though she overcame abandonment issues and an eating disorder in college, a holdup at a gunpoint broke her carefully balanced world apart, forcing her to seek help. Now Caitlin is speaking out about the deep-set need for perfection throughout society, especially on teens and mental health professionals, until people understand that your best is good enough and you are never alone. She has a thriving therapy practice in the Bay Area, specializing in complex trauma. Welcome to the show, Caitlin. Nice to have you here today. Hi, Catherine. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. First question is, what what gave you, <clears throat> I would say, the courage um, to reveal yourself, to really be emotionally, as I would describe it, stark naked in front of the world and share your, yeah, your, I mean, memo, yeah. that's what mem- memoirs are about, but I mean, you really did it. Everything is right out there. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I'm asking you what gave you, yeah, the courage. <laughs> go big or go home, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it was a process. Um, I started, uh, I joined an online um, writing group. And I, and then, um, kind of niched down into a memoir writing group, um, of about, I don't know, 12 women. And we were sharing our stories with each other weekly. And over time, um, we all developed manuscripts. Um, and I think really it was their encouragement at first that my story needed to be heard as well as I really admire, um, memoir authors who share themselves so deeply. I, I've always gotten a lot out of reading someone's stark naked story, much more so than reading something maybe a little bit more, um, I don't know, <laughs> a little more uh, polished or a little more, I don't know, like pulled yeah. back. This, this yeah, I think polished is the word. Sometimes if it's not a memoir and they sort of, well, they sneak in some of the stuff, let's say these authors who write novels but of course they're personal Mm -hmm. and their personal stuff is there but this is this is you know it's there I was thinking when you're telling me about sharing you know you were in a writing group and then it sort of narrowed down to women who actually wrote memoirs how like and that gave you I'm using the word courage I don't know why but um trust Mm -hmm. like I would assume that there's a trust amongst you in the group to talk about what you've written to share honestly about other people's stories and how they narrate them. So um, I don't know if you're saying that, but that's what it sounds like to me. Yeah. Yeah, we did. We studied um, a couple of books on memoir. We did writing exercises with each other, um, sometimes every day, every week. It was very intense. We were all (laughs) just so extremely devoted to our books. And we we worked together for years. This, This book is a 10-year project in the making for me. So, 
yeah, we, we grew deeply um, connected and we urged each other to really share so uh, vulnerably. Um, so I think it was really that. And then over time, I, you know, I'm writing about perfectionism and I'm writing about so many of us feeling like we need to hide, especially those of us in um, like professional helping roles. And because, you know, we want to be seen as having it together so we can support the person who needs help. Um, so there's actually quite a bit of pressure on mental health professionals to show up and have it all together and, you know, be competent and maybe not um, come off as having problems. So, yeah, just all of that together um, did give me the courage and ultimately, you know, I, I thought for a long time, well, maybe I'll publish it under a pen name. And then <laughs> kind of in the last few years, I was like, well, what's the point of that? Like, I just bared my soul. And then to hide behind a pen name seems sort of, um, I don't know, counterintuitive or like at odds with what I was trying to say. And so, yeah, in the end, I just was like, okay, here it goes. I'm, here it I'm, goes and you did is, it. And... This is what I need to do. Yeah. Uh, and yes, you, you did do it. And maybe we should start from the beginning. I mean, I read the themes yeah. in the, in the, you know, in my intro in terms of what you had to struggle with and uh, not just as a professional, but we have to go back right into your history and mm -hmm. growing up. Um, and to me, I guess one of the things which you start out with in that you have a biological father and then you have an adoptive father and that your biological mm -hmm. father left. And that to me, that seemed mm -hmm. like that was the opening, like when that happened, um, I don't want to say everything fell apart, but that's kind of sort of the basis for all the rest of the stuff that happened in your life. Yes, yes. Um, I think, you know, it was a combination of, yeah, growing up with um, a father wound and, not understanding um, that it was okay to actually have all of these feelings about adoption. It was, you know, we were in the early 80s. It wasn't a time that people talked about um, adoption, foster care, um, caring for children um, without their birth parents present. Um, we, you know, it was kind of like, okay, move on. This is this is it. Um, and, and so I, I didn't have a, I think a positive or healthy place to process. And so I did a lot of processing on my own and, and came up with probably some dysfunctional uh, beliefs that, um, you know, I'm not good enough. Um, he didn't love me or, you know, why, why would, why would my dad leave? Um, not, I think not realizing the bigger picture, which is that I did grow up with a father and um, I think the difficulty was that it was a really fraught relationship for a long time. So, um, yeah, father wounds, perfectionism, which was a real setup for me. Yeah. Um, because then when I did begin to manifest depressive symptoms as a, um, in my later teenage years, it just, yeah, it compounded everything. And from there, um, you know, sort of the struggle went on. 
But I have a question. What was your uh, yeah. mother's role in all of this? Because I know at the end of the book, you have acknowledgments. I have a great, you know, my mother was great. She was, but it seems to me, and it's, you're saying it right now, that she maybe, was she not there for you? Because you're processing all this on your own, you know, that you're, was she, where was she? My mom um, has always been a quiet force in my life. She also struggles with perfectionism as well as kind of taking on responsibility for others at the, at the expense of her own needs. Um, she worked a lot. She uh, financially supported our family at times. Um, Sometimes my dad, my adopted dad, was a stay-at-home dad. And so my mom um, was the person, you know, making the money and bringing it in. We were kind of a lower middle-class family. My mom was a teacher. Um, And she worked, actually, she worked in um, the Humboldt County Jail, as we called it, the correctional facility that is in Eureka, California, um, teaching in jail. And that, I mean, that experience, like hearing her come home or having her come home and talk about her experiences there and what she was learning and just the stark humanity of it affected me very deeply. And I think really drove me to do the work that I began doing, which was working with um, domestic violence offenders. So, yeah, I don't talk so much about my mom um, because she, really, she was a positive force in my life. She encouraged me to express myself, to do theater. She saw my gifts and talents. Um, And yet I did miss her a lot. She was gone a lot working. Now, what about when we're talking about perfectionism? Maybe we should mm-hmm. delve into that a little more. What do we mean by that? Because sure. you're saying that you felt this need for perfectionism. And I think in the beginning of, uh, of the interview, you're saying, well, that's inherent in our society. What does that mean? What 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 does that struggle mean, trying to be perfect? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm a woman. I grew up as a cisgender woman, uh, a white woman in a rural, um, mostly white community. Um, in the 80s and 90s when there was a lot of focus on um, kind of physical perfectionism for women. Um, You know, it was kind of the Kate Moss era, the uh, Waif era. A lot of young women developed eating disorders in the 90s, and I was one of them. So that, I think... Combined with seeing my mom taking on so much responsibility and struggling with perfectionism herself, um, not wanting to make mistakes, and then uh, what I was getting. So, are you, I'm going to interrupt you. So, are you saying appearance yeah. is important? Imper- appearance mm-hmm. is important. You have to appear to be healthy and happy and good looking and smart. That's what you yes. have to present to your audience. <laughs> and when yes. that's uh, yeah, okay. Absolutely. So, yes, sorry, I sort of dove off into, (laughs) into, you know, physical uh, manifestations of perfectionism. But, yeah, I think as, you know, as as a professional woman, um, there is so much pressure. I'm a mother. um, There's there's pressure to, yeah, appear to have it together at work. Um, There's there's a lot of 
representations of moms doing it all. And I think now people are really calling that out and saying, you know, I think the pandemic exposed a lot of the struggles that women have at home trying to balance career and kids um, on Zoom. And uh, also in the mental health field, you know, it has actually been um, studied and mental health professionals have some of the highest stigma against having mental health problems which is so ironic and yet makes so much sense because there's so much pressure for us to know what to do and to appear as if we have the answers, appear as if um, life is just fluid and easy and we can talk about our health and help the clients have health. And, And yet so many of us secretly are struggling with our own trauma or, you know, the things that brought us into the field. Many mental health professionals have had their own experiences that gave them empathy and a window into um, what clients are experiencing. And yet, once we arrive in the field, it's like, ah, don't talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk about, the, talk you know, about in it. terms of the field and, and uh, the discipline. Um, mm-hmm. What about, I mean, maybe the issues of transference and counter-transference sort of are something Mm -hmm. that we could discuss here because I think that comes into play. So as a therapist, you're dealing with a client or, and you, there's the issue of transference. And for those who aren't, who are listening, who are not uh, mental health professionals, what, what what is that? What is transference? Yeah. So it's a, um, originally a Freudian term, um, that talks about, in psychoanalysis, once upon a time, the idea was that the, the psychoanalyst, uh, Freud, was a blank screen for the client to um, project or transfer their, um, their own stuff, their own material onto the therapist. So, uh, for example, the client might be um, transferring their feelings about their mother toward the therapist. And when a therapist has... Uh, counter-transference, they are going to be responding to what the client is projecting onto them with their own stuff. And it can, so that's a very um, kind of basic explanation. It's very, it's deeper than that on a lot of levels. And so what it can look like, I think for myself, is if a client is talking about their own trauma and talking to me as if, Either I was um, a confidant or a mental health professional in the field because I myself have, sp- have spoken to men- many mental health professionals in the field. That can bring up my own countertransference. That can bring up actual memories for me of being in a psychiatric ward or being in my own therapy and, and having a very um, deep emotional experience. Um, so yes, it's very, very, very important if, (laughs) I think I'm in a real process of questioning a lot of things about the mental health field, actually. So this is my training. I'm just going to be really transparent about that. This is, this is a privileged white man's, um, explanation of, of the process. And it guides a lot of the work that we do as therapists and, um, I, I really think that this is the time that other voices are being heard and other experiences of, of folks who've been marginalized or who've not 
gotten to speak out about their opinions of what therapy looks like. Um, so yes, we can talk about transference and countertransference. And yes, when, when clients talk about material that touches me or that I've experienced myself, I have feelings that come up. And it's, it's my job as a therapist to manage that. And I'm finding in my work with clients, it's also my job to sort out what can I share with my clients that increases our human connection, that takes me, that, that decreases that dialectic or polarization of client and therapist or, you know, professional and patient. That we're people. Now that's a, I'm going to interrupt you because that is a delicate balance, yes. a real delicate balance. And I guess, I mean, and yes. I think that's an important point that you're bringing up. Um, two things. I mean, as a professional, you really, one needs to be really aware of where, mm-hmm. uh, what your own issues are. I mean, I, I would recommend, um, I mean, I'm a social worker. I've been in counseling. I've been in therapy. I think that's key. I mean, you really have to have some understanding of where you're coming from if you're going to help your clients. Just as a, mm-hmm. But um, sharing is, you're not a friend. I mean, this is something that, you know, is at, at the same yeah. and you don't yeah but you want to connect you would use the word connection and the connection doesn't have to be mm-hmm. this freudian kind of patient lying on the couch and you're sitting behind them asking them questions um yeah. it's a right it's a it's a different relationship yeah, yeah. but you Absolutely. and you know in your book i mean you suffered some real horrific traumas and you and <clears throat> did end up in um, in the hospital in a psych ward. Can you talk about some of that? I mean, the and the impact that had, you know, on your family, also your work as a social worker and as a mother. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's <laughs> so many, so many. Uh, <laughs> that's several questions so many, uh, in one. Yeah. yeah. Well, starting with the psychiatric ward. Um, it, at first, it was devastating because it like completely uh, broke apart my my <laughs> identity as a perfect professional. Um, oh gosh, is that my computer going off in my ear? Um, so yeah, sorry that distracted me. Um, yeah, so that that was really shattered as. Um, a person who really wanted to have it together. Um, and are you still there? I'm still here. <laughs> okay, great. Sorry, I'm, I've had like <laughs> electronic <laughs> things happening. Here. I, I didn't leave um, the room. I'm still here. I'm right in front of my microphone. Yep. Awesome. Okay. Um, so it was devastating at first. And slowly over time, I came to realize that it was a safe place for me. I, I, I did um, get my, I found myself in very dark places in my mind, in my spirit. Um, and what my therapist and I ultimately would talk about is that um, it, it, was, it was a break. It was a, a time for me to go somewhere and just have the opportunity to cry or to sleep, um, to get medication adjusted, to do whatever I needed to do. And that helped me to balance some of the somewhat 
questionable or at times unprofessional experiences I had at kind of at the hands of other professionals, which is really only kind of reinforced stigma. Um, and then I had beautiful um, experiences, you know, a nurse who just listened to me as I broke down and cried about being a mom and being so frightened and upset that I was away from my small children um, and who soothed me. So it was a mixed experience. Um, and I don't know. I just... Being human is about suffering in the end. That's just what I'm coming to as a conclusion and that we all suffer. And it's... Sometimes I have moments of joy. Sometimes I have moments of darkness. But what I've really come to understand is that it's fluid. And it, if I can write it and accept that sometimes writing it means that I do have to be somewhere that's more protected for my own safety, then that's what I need. I, you talk about, yeah, I know that you were diagnosed as bipolar and that you, and I think I said this in the beginning of the interview, that you inherited some of these depressive behaviors and that perhaps, that, yeah, and, and that you felt or feel that you passed on some of these to your own children and feeling mm -hmm. guilty or shameful. Um, but you've all managed as a family, having gone through, and I don't want to talk about everything in the book. We want people to go out and buy the book, and uh, uh, we don't want to share everything. But those that's one of the themes. And um, at the end, at least I think I can say this, is that you, as a family, are able to accept all your frailties, not maybe all, but many of them, and, and go on. And yeah, that's more of a, a general, I guess, comment. But um, yeah, the inherited depressive behaviors. Talk about that a little bit. I, I, that, uh, you know, that you inherited them from your parents and then you, your kids also inherited yeah. some of these, yeah, behaviors. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, part of it is that I, I only have a complete history of one side of my family because I have kind of pieces of my birth father's side, but I don't have the whole story. I know there were mental health issues on his side, but I don't have a lot of details. Um, in my mom's side, there's definitely depression, and a couple of family members have been either diagnosed as bipolar or suspected bipolar. There's some bipolar symptoms. So it definitely runs in my family. Um, as for my uh, eldest child, yeah, uh, it was very frightening to me as a mother to see my 12-year-old begin to exhibit exactly what I experienced, only I was seeing it from the outside as a parent. And that brought up so much guilt in me because, <laughs> you know, again, like mothers were blamed for a long time in, in the psychiatric community historically as being... Um, as having a distinct role in their ch their child's dysfunction. And I think we're really starting to look at that very differently in terms of caretakers and parents and all of that. But, you know, I think at some level um, I, I, I carry that. And I also um, 
of course, I want to be forming a, a reality for my child that is that is um, caring and a place where they can grow into a healthy into a healthy being, a healthy person. And so, yeah, to see to see my child going through this was, was so scary, and I questioned everything. What did I do wrong? Um, it felt ironic. Okay, here I am, a therapist, and here's my kid falling apart. So, yeah, mental illness is inherited, both um, from a from a genetic standpoint as well as behaviorally. And I, you know, um, I think nature versus, versus nurture, right? And so, I I'm sure unconsciously I I passed on depressive traits. My children saw me sleeping a lot. I mean, they joke that I take naps all the time, even now. You know, they're 17 and 20, and that's the running joke that <laughs> mama sleeps all the time. <laughs> so, But yeah, I, I'm I, assuming that they don't blame you. I'm making that assumption. They For for whatever oh, their issues are, or maybe they do. And, not at all. Um, not at all. No, no. I... I feel really fortunate that I've been able to be open with my children more so as they've grown. You know, they were um, five and seven, I believe, when I was first hospitalized. And obviously, we didn't tell them, go into great detail about what what was happening. Um, But as they grew into teenagers, we were able to share more. You know, um, mom is not feeling well. She's going to go to the hospital where she can get some help, talk to some doctors. And they, you know, I've been hospitalized actually a total of seven times. Um, in the book, it was four. And then, you know, it's been a few years since the book was completed and it's going through the publishing process. And so I had three more hospitalizations after that. And it really got to the point where it was like, okay, you know, we're doing this again. And they were so loving. And it is such a balance, too, that I want to be their parent. I do not want them to feel like they have to be responsible for me or take care of me. Yeah. And at the same time, I want to be able to have a transparent conversation that, yeah, this is what I need. This is part of me taking care of myself. Um, well, I think uh, you know, we so, have yeah. a couple minutes left, so we're going to end on yeah. that. But I think one of the things you just said, that in the end, they're so supportive of you they understand what's happening. So to me, you've done a lot of things right. I mean, it's, I mean, they're, all, they're, yeah. Uh, what websites can we go to for more information about the work that you're doing? Because I know you do, you specialize in complex trauma, but also uh, a website where we can purchase the book. Yeah, so I have a website, katelynbillings.com myname.com um, that um, is all about me and my book. And then I have a um, group practice website as well. And that I, I just opened that group practice in May. And um, I'm working with a group of really talented, wonderful clinicians. Um, and you can le- learn more about that work at Sauna Therapy Collective, Sauna spelled S-A-N-A, SanaTherapyCollective.com. Great. Caitlin Billings, author of In Our Blood. Thanks so much for being on the show today. It was great talking to you. Thank you so much, Catherine. (laughs) It's been great.
I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm.